today on Ag News Daily. It helps us um, distinguish what is residue in the furrow so that we can make a decision with our row cleaners. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Mike Pearson here, again flying solo for today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It is January, the well, it is Thursday, the 24th of January, and uh, Delaney has been kept, she is covering a basketball game or some such thing, a sporting event of some kind, and that is why I am flying solo. So I appreciate all of you tuning in and downloading the podcast. Well, we've got a couple of interviews today, so before we jump on into those, I want to start with some of the news that is affecting us. This piece coming from Washington, D.C. We had a, uh, or I should say, uh, Wilbur Ross, who is the U.S. Commerce Secretary, made some comments earlier today, and they didn't spark a lot of joy in the hearts of those of us who are hoping to get some kind of a deal done with China. He said, quote, we're miles and miles from getting a resolution, and frankly, that shouldn't be too surprising. That was Wilbur Ross talking about the likelihood of some kind of a deal with China, especially over those big issues. The big issues continue to be the forced transfer of intellectual property, just their general lack of intellectual property protections over in China, and then, of course, the trade deficit that uh, President Trump has talked quite a bit about. Those being the main issues, it sounds like there is not exactly a resolution around the corner. However, uh, he is very excited about this group that is coming. There's uh, that 30-member Chinese delegation that is heading to D.C. next week. Um, Hopefully, Hopefully that'll help uh, get some things, some wheels greased, and maybe we can still hit that March 1 target to uh, resolve this trade dispute. Because after March 1, the tariff pause ends, and both countries would be free to, uh, to put tariffs on the other country's goods again. Right now we're kind of in that detente, waiting for you know March 1 to roll around, or some kind of a deal. So not exactly uplifting news there from uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. I also saw something interesting. Wilbur Ross has a penchant for wearing velvet loafers. I didn't know this about him, but I saw it on Twitter. There were photos of uh, U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross in, I don't know, nine different places, nine different uh, suits of clothes, and I think it was nine different pairs of velvet loafers. And I tell you what, I've never worn velvet loafers, but looking at him, they did look gosh darn comfortable. And uh, I think I'm going to have to investigate. Where do you get velvet loafers? And I don't know. Wouldn't probably be great on the farm. I, I can't imagine manure is easy to clean out of velvet, but hmm. We shall see. Well, we've got some other news. Commodity commodity news well for sure but it's a uh, ag commodity adjacent news it's oil there has been a whole mess of things going on down in venezuela and uh namely it's an election the u.s and much of western europe has backed the uh, opposition uh candidate who has declared himself president maduro the current president who was handpicked by hugo chavez um, has 
not giving up power. So there's a bit of a tiff going on down in Venezuela, and that has prompted calls from the U.S. to put some sanctions on that country, which means that Venezuelan crude oil would not be able to come into the U.S. Now, if this were to go into effect, we would see a lot of those uh, oh refineries down there on the Gulf Coast scrambling to find other places to pick up their crude oil. So that caused uh, caused a little bit of a rally in uh, in oil prices earlier today. Well, speaking of oil, we've got news on the ethanol front. Todd Neely, who is uh, one of the staff reporters over at DTN, has written a fantastic piece in detail, going into depth, I should say, on the, the biofuels industry looking ahead to 2019. Um, not a whole lot of optimism. Uh, the the one spot that does have some optimistic outlook is biofuels due to the tariffs that were put on Argentinian and Indonesian uh, biofuels or biodiesel, I should say. Th- there are record profits, it sounds like, in the biodiesel industry. So that is the bright spot. The lack of or the, the non-bright spot continues to be on the ethanol side, the much larger of the two biofuels industries. Ethanol continues to be hampered by incredibly terrible profit margins, some some in the red, continue to see mergers and acquisitions shrink the overall shape of that industry, and that is a bit of a bummer for an American corn grower who uh, is probably likely to plant some more corn acres headed into 2019. So we'll keep an eye on this. We will continue to bring news of ethanol plants, be they sell-offs or consolations, mergers, acquisitions, all of that stuff. As those get announced throughout 2019, you can always listen to the Ag News Daily Podcast. Or if you hear of a merger that we haven't talked about yet, uh, drop us a line. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily and we will show up. Now, I want to take a little break from my yammering on and turn the mic over to our friend Michael Clements from the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. The deadline is approaching if you want to submit comments on how the FDA labels milk. And I'll let uh, Michael go into more detail right here. The Food and Drug Administration is reconsidering the labeling regulations of plant-based beverages marketed as dairy products, as the National Milk Producers Federation says the products mislead and confuse consumers. National Milk Producers Federation spokesperson Chris Galen says there's still time to submit comments before the deadline. On Monday, January 28th, the FDA is going to close the public comment period, where for the past four months, they've been accepting comments from various interested parties, including dairy farmers, about whether and how the FDA should better regulate the use, or in our viewpoint, the misuse of dairy terms on things calling themselves milk or cheese or yogurt, but that are actually made out of plants. And what FDA has been doing here with this comment period is gathering information as to the extent that people in the public, when you survey them, have perceptions or maybe misconceptions about the nutritional content and the value of these mislabeled imitation dairy products. 
New research shows Americans widely disapprove of dairy terms being used by fake milk producers and the confusion on nutritional content of milk versus plant-based imitators. Earlier this week, we provided more research that was actually done in the fall by Ipsos, which is a global market research and consulting firm. And it found that only 20% of all consumers said plant-based beverages should be labeled milk in light of the fact that the U.S. dietary guidelines for Americans don't recommend that these imitators are an acceptable substitute. The other thing this research found is that more than one-third of consumers erroneously believe that these plant-based imitation beverages have the same or more protein than dairy milk, when in fact most things made out of almonds or rice or some of the other grains have little to no protein. Again, the comment period closes Monday, and farmers have one last chance now to submit comments to the FDA. There's still opportunity for farmers and other interested parties to weigh in with the FDA on this process. The easiest thing to do is actually go to the National Milk Producers website, which is nmpf.org, and the first thing you'll see when you go there is there'll be a, a box that pops up that if you click on it, will take you right to a web page that allows you to then copy and paste some of the talking points we've put up there, and then there's directions about how to take that information and send it to the FDA. And again, this docket closes basically at midnight, Monday night, January 28th. So we have a few more days here for people to weigh in. After the comment period closes, the FDA will compile the comments for consideration in crafting an updated regulation. Galen says that process will take time. Well, the first thing, of course, is that many of the people at FDA are not on the job, so very little is going to happen until the government shutdown gets resolved. Hopefully that'll happen sometime soon. Then when FDA goes through all these comments, they've gotten more than 11,000, they've got to then come up with a rationale for changing their posture, which for the past few decades has been to allow these imitation non-dairy products, calling themselves milk, use those terms. We think that there's plenty of evidence and science behind why those terms need to be restricted for use with only real dairy products. There's no guarantee here, of course, that the FDA is going to do this or do it anytime soon, but we do think that given the high profile of this issue in the past couple of years, that it's going to be very hard for the FDA to continue to turn a blind eye on this issue. Learn more and submit comments at nmpf.org. Michael Clements reporting. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Listeners, if that's something that uh, you feel compelled to make a comment on, get in there, get over there, get it done quick, and, uh, you know, shape shape the industry. Shape the way, shape the dairy industry in this tough time. That's what those comments are there for. Uh, before we turn it over to our main interview for the day, which is with uh, Clint Endress, from Precision Planting. He and I had a talk over at the Quad Cities Farm Show that we're going to play today. I've got one other note here, and this is coming out of the European Union, and it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out. So here's the setup. The European Union, if you are a member country of that group, the EU in Brussels, the main head, gets to decide whether or not you can waive taxes on products and services. Well, Great Britain has a thriving business in commodity markets. In particular, you know, you've got the London Metal Exchange, uh, the London Bullion Market. There's, there's a fair number of commodity markets that trade over in London. And Britain has decided they do not want to charge the value-added tax on derivatives marketplaces. And so they just haven't. They've kept 
there has not been a tax on trading in these uh, commodity markets if you're doing it in Britain. Well, the EU has decided that that is a violation of EU law. And so they are suing Great Britain to push these taxes, a value-added tax, onto the sale of derivatives in the markets. But Great Britain has decided to leave the EU, so why in the world would they agree to tax their products more if they are going to be leaving, which still seems to be the case? Nobody is quite for sure how all of this is going to play out, but it's going to be interesting as Brexit and the separation of Great Britain and the European Union continues to push forward, these are the things that definitely impact money flow around the world. And if things impact money flow, they can definitely impact the prices that we see here in the U.S. for our grains and meats and all the delicious things we produce here in this country and around the world. One final note... Delaney will be back tomorrow. We will have a full deck, a full roster of podcast folks, and we want to hear from you. We want to know what stories are going on around the country. Like I said, you can find us on social media. Just reach out to us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, on Twitter. I think Delaney signed us up for Instagram. If not, I think that's planned. Um, but we want to hear from you. We want to know what's happening around the country, around the world. We know we've got listeners in every hemisphere, and uh, we want to hear from all of you. Well, no matter where you are, your prices of goods are being determined in Chicago here if you are in the commodity markets business. So let's jump in, see where the markets closed for the day. Our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, I say this every day, but it is always worth giving the guys at Zaner a call to manage some of your marketing risk. You can reach out to them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. Taking a look at the corn market, March corn down one and three quarters at 377. Even the May contract down one and three quarters as well to finish at 385 and a half. In soybeans, the March contract up a penny at 916 even. The May also up a penny to close at 929 and three quarters. Chicago wheat gave back most of or all of yesterday's gains. The March contract down four and a half cents at 521 and a half. The May contract down three and a half to close the day at 528 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock here on the day, we did see some cash trade happen, but didn't do a whole lot of good for the live markets. February live cattle down 20 cents at 125.35. The April down two and a half cents to close the day at 126.47.50. Feeder cattle a little bit of strength today. The March contract up 67 and a half cents at 144.32.50. The April up 70 to close the day at 145.37.50. And in lean hogs, the February contract dropped 95 cents to close at 59.82 and a half. The April down a dollar 35 to finish at 63. 50. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. January class 3 milk unchanged again on the day as that contract is expiring here shortly. Finished at 13.98, the February down 4 cents at 13.93, and the March contract dropped 7 cents on the day to close at 14.15. Now, let's take a trip back to Monday at the Quad Cities Farm Show and my conversation with Clint Endress about precision planting. 
Well, I'm here at the Quad Cities Farm Show talking to Clint Endress. You're enthusiastic. Is, I, I like this. I am you enthusiastic. Do have a voice for radio. Yeah, voice and a face for radio. What can I say? God bless me. But you're precision planning. You're the region manager, mm-hmm. West Central Illinois. But, you know, we're going to include parts of Iowa in that. You've got some similar soils. Yeah, we, we do some missionary work over there. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, we're standing here at your booth. Talk us through a little bit about what you're showing here at the Quad Cities Farm Show. Well, uh, I'm here with uh, my dealer, uh, E&M Seed, Evan Marston, and we've got a couple of different row units on display here. We've got the John Deere uh, display unit here displaying um, basically most of our components up to this year uh, with our V-set meter, V-drive motor, hydraulic downforce, delta force, uh, V-apply HD, liquid control, uh, clean sweep, uh, speed tube and uh, smart firmer. So seed for seed speed tube, smart firmer, that's all stuff I can grasp. Even a livestock farmer like me understands what I'm looking at there. Sure. When you're talking about the clean sweep and the liquid V apply. V apply. Yes, sir. Yeah. Walk me through a little bit. You got a fancy dial here. What are we okay, well, what does clean sweep do? Clean sweep is uh is helping me manage my floating row cleaners. So I can apply there's an air cylinder that's attached to the floating row cleaners that can help us automatically adjust from the cab based off of how aggressive or uh, inaggressive I want my road cleaners to be in terms of different uh, throughout the past of the field. So it could be a, a no-till environment where I might need to be a little bit more aggressive, or it could be a, a tillage environment where I can be afford to be a little bit less aggressive, potentially. How much knowledge do I, the grower, have to have to know how aggressive I want to be? Well, that's a good question. We didn't really have any knowledge up to this point until... As you smile, you know exactly where I'm going. Uh, Smart Firmer was introduced a couple of years ago. That is the first of its kind infrared sensor that has a metric that helps us um, distinguish what is residue in the furrow, so we can make a decision with our row cleaners. So, is the row cleaner with Smart Furrow is it making its own decision, or is it just relaying it to me and allowing me to make the adjustment in the cab? Good question. Is relaying it to me, and we'll make the manual adjustment with the regular in the cab. And that regulator that I'm looking at here, we'll post a picture of it, listeners. That's what I've got in my cab? Yes, that's exactly right. And then there's a, uh, a small air compressor tank out on the uh, out on the planter. Fantastic. Now walk me through some of the liquid application tools that you guys have. So we've got a couple of things. We've got a, uh, if a, if a grower wants to kind of figure out how well their liquid system is performing in terms of application rates, we have a uh, just a, a flow meter, basically, called Flow Sense that they could tie into their existing load uh, system with a with our 2020 and get some feedback onto their display to let them know how well they're doing. If they, and that's literally just sensing the flow coming exactly out right. at, at the end. That's precisely correct. Okay. Uh, then at, when we get into the control aspect, we've got uh, a product called V-Apply HD that gives me a wide range of, of control from about three gallons at three mile an hour to 60 gallons at 10 mile an hour. So we can go, we can use this on the planter pass. We can take it over to the side dress bar also and use it there to help us control our liquid. And then from a delivery attachment that's more designed, there's some attachments that are designed for delivery are furrow jet, which is uh, primarily for phosphorus delivery. It's what it was designed for. uh, intersection of roots into into phosphorus and, and how well it's placed. We also introduced um, a nitrogen attachment called Conceal that just came out on the market for sale uh, a couple months ago. 
um, and it's, it's a custom gauge wheel with a knife, and it's designed uh, to stay away, but also uh, it's fixed with the with a row unit itself. So, and it's called Conceal. Is it helping ensure you're getting full coverage, or where did you get the name? Well, it's primarily because the knife is tucked in the wheel. It's kind of concealed away and out of the way. Gotcha. Um, but also from a placement standpoint, we, we recommend usually about an inch below the soil surface for delivery of nitrogen. But guys will fudge that, and they, can, they have opportunities to go deeper if they so choose to. So tell me a little bit about what came out this year. What are you excited about that, uh, that growers need to know about? Yeah, so uh, a lot's been happening behind the walls of precision the past few years. Uh, we've did a lot of studies over the past several years on closing systems and trying to figure out what their shortcomings are, how we can make them better, if we can make them better. And one of the main um, things we, we at Precision have focused on is how do we sense this? How do we measure what's going on? Which is what we design. We design sensors that lead to solutions. So we came out with uh, something called Furrow Force uh, here. We just announced at our winter conference last week that actually has a load pin on it that can measure whether or not I'm making ground contact with my closing system and closing the furrow well. It's kind of a two-stage system. Uh, then also we released something called Smart Depth, which takes the metric from the Smart Firmer, which gives us a uh, moisture metric, and it'll make an automatic adjustment to the depth based on my moisture content reading from the, fir from the Smart Firmer. And those are out retail now? No, they are not. They are actually, oh. good question. They are going to be going for uh, another season of testing this spring. Uh, and if we are as successful as we were this last year, um, there's a good chance it'll be for release and limited availability, possibly. That's all to be determined here in the next year. Yes, when exactly right. Potentially roll potentially, out. Potentially, yes. Now, here's a question I get from a lot of growers, and I'm sure you get it as well. Modifying a planter, modifying a side dress bar, doing anything isn't cheap. It costs some dollars no, to do. That's correct. We're in a tight margin environment. Mm -hmm. How do you figure a payback when you're adding sensors? What should growers be having in mind when they're making well, these decisions? I can't. That's a great question. And I can't really make a decision unless I know what's going on and where I'm losing, right? So a sensor is designed in, to give me good, accurate information that I've never had before. So my first challenge to, to a, a farmer who, who might not have adopted anything in technology on their planner is to start small, start with something that gives me a knowledge base of where to go next. And that might just be putting a 2020 in the cab with some load pins uh, on my planter, or even we have the capability of doing some smart firmers on the planter, uh, just to give them an idea of what some things are. Because every operation is different. Every operation has different battles and struggles to fight with. So where's the, the biggest pain point I have that I can need to shore up and make a difference in? And, and that's where I probably need to start, but I can't do it without good information. That's right, if you can't measure, you can't change. Exactly right, said quite a bit. absolutely. Well, Clint Andrews, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Pleasure really to speak with you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Clint. He was one of the uh, fantastic conversations I had wandering around the uh, Quad Cities Farm Show. It was a neat experience. I'd encourage all of you, if you're over there in that western Illinois, eastern Iowa neck of the woods, a uh, lot of great dealers, a lot of great distributors wandering around, setting up booths, and uh, definitely some cool stuff on display. I'd encourage all of you to check it out.
Well, speaking of cool stuff, we do have some cool things on the podcast every now and again. If you've missed an episode, you can catch up on our entire back catalog. The B-sides and rarities you can find. The deep cuts are on our website at agnewsdaily.com. And you can always interact with us, and I hope you do, on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you go. (laughs) 